The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Well, as geopolitical tensions between Russia and the Ukraine escalate, the impact and, of course, the implications are causing some significant economic turmoil around the world. Now, we can see this in the global markets, but specifically or especially in the energy markets, oil, gas, and, of course, even uranium. I'm joined now by Barclay Pierce Capital Equities Analyst and Trader, Morgan Maguire. Morgan, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me here on Stockhead. Morgan, how long have you been covering the equity markets? It's a bit of a winding path for me getting into the covering of equity markets. I grew up playing rugby league. Like most young league players, I had all things planned to play NRL. That didn't quite turn out, so I figured I needed to make a life pivot. I worked in construction and moved into the risk management side in various sectors within construction while studying psychology and I love gaining an understanding of how the mind works and human behavior, and I'm obsessed with evidence-based approaches to things. Um, And I've been steadily investing in the stock market personally since the age of 19, and I've always been intrigued by the stock market and behaviors of it. So coupling that intrigue and my studies, it was a natural segue for me to get into the equity market. And uh, I now have two young girls, and like all people with a young family, I'm just trying to make the most of life's opportunities to create the best possible future for them. We've been faced with global pandemics. We've been faced with here in Australia, of course, recently floods along the East Coast. There's a geopolitical tensions that, of course, are are happening overseas as well. I mean, did you ever think you'd see geopolitical tensions like the ones we're seeing today? Yeah, look, I I suppose if you have a look back historically, there has been some, um, uh, I guess, geopolitical tensions uh, over time. But in my adult life, I, I wasn't expecting to see the, the level of uh, implication that, that that's had on the stock market. So um, it is very intriguing, very interesting, and, uh, yeah, kind of worrying times and, and a bit concerning for people to navigate at this time. Well, it's had such a massive impact on the energy space in particular, and I'm, it's obviously it's called specifically referring to the very, very sad situation in Russia and in Ukraine. Um, oil, gas, and uranium prices have all moved moved rapidly as as a result of that, did you expect or would you have expected to see such a strong reaction in energy? Yeah, look, I, I say, as I mentioned before, like historically, we've seen pretty rapid movements in, in the stock market. So if we think back to when the US invaded Iraq in March 2003, there was roughly uh, the stock markets rose about 2.3% uh, the following day um, and finished the year with a gain of about 30% from that point on. And then you've even got the Korean War, which began in 1950, North Korea invaded the South. Uh, that conflict ended in summer of 1953. And in that time, the Dow was up an annualised 16% or almost 60% in total. And in the six months following the onset of World War I, 1914, the Dow fell more than 30%. Um, and then from the start of World War II in 1939, it ended in late 1945. The Dow was up a total of 50%, so more than 7% per year. So look. Looking at that, during the two of the worst wars in modern history, the US stock market was up about a combined uh, 115%. So, look, there was some level of um, 
uh, anticipation that there would be fluctuation, but to the extent that we're seeing it now, uh, I can't say that was guaranteed. But, um, you know, however insane all that, the fact is that the market doesn't always respond to geopolitical tensions in the way that we anticipate. And um, I'd love to say if there's someone who wants to say uh, they know for certain how things will be, like, say, a year post-conflict, then um, they're in possession of a crystal ball that I definitely need to get a hold of. Oh, I'd like to get a hold of that too, Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) You know, obviously we're just talking about what sort of impact this has had on on, on markets in general, but specifically in energy. And um, I think, you know, in terms of the anecdotal messaging that I'm getting from some of the investors that I'm talking to at the moment, there's a lot of hope out there that the growth that we're seeing in renewables and the renewable space and green energy will help to offset some of those issues that, that we're seeing today. Is is that what it, what you hope also? Yeah, look, I, I definitely uh, and I'm, I'm on board with the whole concept of the green economy and uh, the need for urgent, more intensive action against climate change. It's, it's broadly recognised. And I guess renewable energy is uh, undoubtedly the buzzword and the hot topic of late. Um, however, the, the term green economy, I, say, I, I assume, um, was arguably uh, coined back in, I guess, 1989. And it seems that many countries at the moment are kind of in competition to be the first to proclaim that um, to the world that they're they're on the target to net zero, and um, they're also proclaiming that they're the next hydrogen superpower. So, um, I guess from an economic perspective, it's understandable with the level of attention that's uh, getting driven towards a green economy, and um, that's probably most relevant within the last 10 to 15 years. We've seen a pretty sharp increase in the people um, that are likening likening the use of hydrogen as the next oil. So um, I I notice that we're seeing a a pretty large global commitment towards sustainable and environmentally friendly practices uh, being considered by global leaders for some time now. And um, I think that's the way forward. I think we really need to have a concentrated effort towards making sure that we're aiming towards decarbonisation in a tangible manner. And that's you're following that, correct me if I'm wrong, Morgan, quite closely in terms of private company projects, public company projects, um, government grants, um, companies that are raising money in order to move forward um, in the green economy. Yeah, I, I am. I, I've got a pretty sharp focus on, on that from a domestic point of view. So um, if you have a look at Australian Renewables Energy Agency, so ARENA, uh, so that agency is focused on distributing governmental resources towards projects that are aligned with the goals of the, the global decarbonisation and which are within Australia's roadmap. So there's multiple projects uh, within Queensland alone that have come from part funding from this government agency since 2012. They've uh, supported a six, 612 projects so far with $1.81 billion in grant funding. Um, so that's unlocking a total investment of almost $7.9 billion in Australia's renewable energy industry. And the pressure for companies to move towards decarbonisation is growing daily and companies have really begun to shift in the direction with massive changes to their business direction and policy frameworks. So, uh, look, the, the, the path is changing and the way forward, I think a lot of companies are starting to come to that realisation and are really getting on board with the, the whole green economy and trying to establish these value chains. You know, one of these, there's obviously many different tentacles to the green economy and, and what those decarbonisation pressures, I suppose, look like and, and what they result in in terms of changes for companies. But but one of the things that we're doing, we're focused, very focused on in Australia and is, of course, hydrogen. How closely are you following the hydrogen space and, and how successful do you believe we're going to be in Australia? What should investors be looking at? 
Yeah, look, I think we're in the early stages within Australia. I think a couple of other countries are a little more um, advanced in their processes uh, in relation to hydrogen. So just specifically relating to infrastructure, I guess, um, legal frameworks and governmental policies and regulations. Um, at the moment, um, I, I have a, a colleague that I know that's um, helping contribute uh, hydrogen to the gas networks. And at the moment, look, the feasibility isn't quite there. So at the moment, he's looking at uh, importing about $270 million for just the logistics of getting hydrogen from uh, Victoria to Queensland and, and $290 million for uh, the raw material itself. So, look, at the moment, it's not quite where it, needed, it needs to be to be commercially viable, but I think that we're quite on the path there. And, and if you just have a look at... Um, a couple of projects that are currently happening. For example, the Fortescue Future Industries project in Gladstone with uh, Twiggy Forest, who's kind of heading up that development. The, the, the structures there for everyone to get on board with uh, in encouraging people to, sorry, encouraging governments to get the framework in place and the infrastructure that's needed to uh, really establish these value chains. And I think that will move us in the right direction to make hydrogen a, a really more viable uh, energy fuel, uh, energy source for the future. Well, I was just uh, looking at some of those companies. You, you mentioned Fortescue Future Industries. Are there any specific companies that you're watching within that hydrogen space? Yeah, there is. So uh, in, in Queensland, there's a Brisbane-based firm called Golden Hydrogen. So they've applied for permits covering an area in the southern half of the York Peninsula and Kangaroo Island where there was two unsuccessful oil wells drilled in the 1930s that turned up uh, high-purity hydrogen. And um, funnily enough, there's been a few others that have uh, now followed suit heavily due to the research paper that was um, published by CSIRO and uh, Geoscience Australia last uh, year. So what that has uh, identified, it, it documents accidental discoveries of hydrogen across the country and um, to put it into perspective, so the data set involves about approximately 1,000 natural gas samples from around 470 wells in both sediment sedimentary and non-sedimentary basins uh, with reservoir rocks ranging in age from 2.8 to 2.5 billion years ago. So, uh, look, it, there is potential to find natural pockets, and I think that's what a lot of companies are now aiming towards. So, uh, Golden Hydrogen, again, a, a Brisbane-based company, that's one of the companies that are, are looking to leverage those types of opportunities. And in Queensland alone, there's there's a huge amount of projects that are taking shape. And a few examples, um, if I'll rattle those off, there's Gen X Power. So, there's got the Boldcomb Battery project near Rockhampton, CS Energy, so they're a project next to the Cogan Creek Power Station just near Chinchilla, so they're using Tesla-supplied batteries to store the energy that is created. And then we've got the Western Downs project by Singapore-based Vena Energy, uh, so that's currently progressing through the commissioning process. So with all these, what future excites me is the boost to the local economy, job creation, and the investment opportunity that will accompany these projects. I think jobs creation is probably key. Um, there seems to be a bit of a skills shortage in this area. I mean, this has been exacerbated, of course, by the border closures and so forth caused by the pandemic. But how big an issue is that when we're talking about these green energy commodities? Yeah, look, that that's a very key point there, Ariel. And, and uh, I think that it's 
structured to avoid trying to overcompl- uh, sorry, oversimplify a very complex situation, we need to look at the key factors that are kind of the roadblocks towards decarbonisation and really establishing the green economy and, and the infrastructure along with the, the upskilling and also the repurposing of existing infrastructure. That's a lot of things that need to be taken into consideration. And I think there is opportunity in there to create more jobs create the upskilling framework that would be established. And if there's an opportunity for governments to provide provide contribution to those things, I think we'd be heading in the right direction. But yeah, it's, it is definitely some, some challenges in order to get the green economy really established to where it needs to be. You know, we just obviously talked about hydrogen. Um, we know that this is something that um, there are a few companies in Australia that are focused on. But where else does the do, uh, is the capital flowing towards when it comes to the green the green economy and other green economy commodities that Australia does have in abundance of. In relation to a couple of the other commodities that Australia exports that do contribute towards the green economy, we still have copper, we've got lithium and manganese and graphite as well and graphene. So a lot of these commodities that are exported by Australia will have a significant increase in the coming years when the I guess the demand for electric vehicles and hydrogen vehicles um, expands to the levels that we are anticipating. So anecdotally, there is a lot of uh, a lot of investor interest in these spaces at the moment, and I think that Australia is really uniquely positioned to capitalise on that. And I, I don't think that the investors quite have um, understand the, the level of uh, uptake that will be coming in the next ten to, to fifteen years. So. If you have a look at uh, Goldman Sachs, they've been extremely bullish on the whole concept around a commodity super cycle at the moment. And I think that that is fairly true. If we're seeing how things have been moving in that space in the last year alone, you're seeing a significant upheaval in the prices for some commodities. And for example, you look at the price of lumber. The price of lumber in a 12-month time frame went up in 400%. So it's a pretty significant upheaval in just that commodity alone. Now, that's not a standalone figure in the commodity market. And I think that what's adding fuel to that fire as well, as you mentioned before, Earl, is the fact that you have the, the conflict in Ukraine. It's added fuel to the fire, and we've seen a significant increase in the commodity market. And uh, I think at present, we're seeing the, the largest upheaval since the 1973 oil embargo in the US. One differentiating factor from then and now is that we're seeing a, a buyer-led boycott as opposed to a seller-led boycott. And... Um, Simultaneously, we're also seeing trade ties between Russia and the West disintegrate before our eyes. And whenever this is going to actually come to to a head and and, uh, cease, we're we're not too sure. Uh, But look, at the moment, the opportunities lies within the commodity sector for for the savvy investor. What about uranium? How does that fit into this particular area? Because, of course, we just had quite a big uranium merger here in Australia. Yeah, look, um, that uh, mandate is is a perfect opportunity for Australia. So Australia has the world's largest resource of low-cost uranium. I think the recoverable cost there are $40 per kilogram of uranium. And uh, the demand for Australia's uranium is ultimately a function of installed nuclear electricity capacity in in countries prepared to sign up to an Australian nuclear safeguards agreement. And... If we look worldwide, there's about 436 nuclear power plants in operation, and the total capacity is about 370 gigawatts of electrical 
uh, power, which is equivalent to about eight times the total installed capacity of all conventional electricity generational plants in Australia. So it's anticipated by the year 2030 that uh, we should have uh, a lot of more, a lot more nuclear reactor power plants operating worldwide. So uranium will be in high demand, and Australia is very well positioned to. Uh, start generating a lot of revenue streams through the exportation of our uranium. So um, it's very exciting times for us here. So when you look at opportunities for investors um, in this space, particularly in the green economy, Morgan, where do you, where are you? What are you pointing investors towards? There is plenty of opportunity in the green economy at the moment, and as I mentioned, there's a there's a need to set up a really robust value chains for the green economy and, and how that will look uh, is, is yet to be determined. But at the moment, there's still opportunities within the commodity sector. Things like lithium, uh, we're looking at graphite, graphene, uh, looking at manganese as well, and obviously copper. So there's plenty of commodities that investors can still capitalise on. And that economy is only going to get more and more in demand as we move towards uh, decarbonisation. And look, if you look in Europe at the moment, they've got particular uh, policies that are changing where uh, vehicles that enter into the CBD regions have to be renewables. So no more carbon emission vehicles are allowed within the CBDs of some particular European nations. So look, it, it, it is all heading in that direction. And I think investors, if they want some insight into where to place their funds, uh, I think looking at the commodity sector is a pretty strong option. And I know us here at Barclay Pierce have, have been of the opinion to to point investors in that direction. It's something that uh, Goldman Sachs has been hinting towards there strongly in the in the of the opinion that uh, our commodity sector is still in the initial stage stages of our super cycle. So uh, it's definitely the direction that we are pointing investors in, and that's towards the commodity sector. All right, um, Morgan, a really interesting conversation. I really appreciate you joining us here on Stock Insiders today. Thank you so much for your time. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that is all we have time for, for this episode of Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Have a great day, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.